If the digital age has made something clear, is that technology, materiality, is absolutely crucial to the human communication experience. But how can we bring materiality back into the study of communication? About this and many other important topics is this conversation with Fernanda Rosa in this new episode of El Café Latinx. What is the experience of being a Latinx or Latin American scholar in the field of communication and media studies? What are the main challenges and opportunities that come with our identities? These are the issues that we'll talk about in El Café Latinx, where some of the leading voices in the field will share their professional experiences. Hola, my name is Pablo Wojcicki. I teach at Northwestern University, where I hold the Hamid bin Khalif Al Thani Chair in Communication. Together with Mora Matassi, doctoral student at Northwestern and executive producer of this podcast, we invite you to discover the journeys of scholars who are at the cutting edge of creating knowledge about Latinx or Latin American communities across the Americas. These are our stories. Esas son nuestras historias. Estas son nuestras historias. Welcome to this new episode of El Café Latinx. I am delighted to have with us today Fernanda Rosa. Fernanda is an assistant professor in the Department of Science, Technology and Society at Virginia Tech, where she started in August 2021. Before that, for two years, she was a postdoctoral fellow at the Center for Advanced Research in Global Communication at the University of Pennsylvania in the Annenberg School for Communication. Fernanda got her PhD in the School of Communication at American University. Before then, she got a master's in public policy and management at Fundação Getúlio Vargas in Brazil. And before then, a bachelor's degree in the social sciences at USP, Universidade de Sao Paulo, also in Brazil. Fernanda received a very important distinction for her dissertation, which is an honorable mention for the best dissertation award at the Association of Internet Researchers in 2020 and a number of other important awards, including uh, from TPRC, from the Carnegie Corporation, from Google uh, Policy Fellowship, etc. She is the author of one book, several journal articles, and book chapters, very, very prolific for somebody who just started in the tenure track process. Fernanda, we are delighted to have you with us. Welcome to El Café Latinx. Uh, thank you so much, Paolo. It's my pleasure. Wow. <laughs> thank you very much for the introduction. It is our pleasure, please. So, Fernanda, how did it all begin? That is, how was the start of your journey that led you to become a professor? Yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> because I think that um, as a first generation scholar, you it's very hard that you would think of being a professor. So I would say I've never thought of uh, being a professor. This was never a dream uh, for sure. And I think, I don't know, my interests were changing as I was going through the market, as I was uh, having my, uh, my journey <laughs> in education as well. Um, I think that an important moment uh, for, for this for this path 
uh, was the doctoral program. I, I've always uh, liked uh, academia and to study, but I always thought of that as a support for me to work in public policy. After getting my BA in, in social sciences, I worked for the private sector for a while doing research. And, and then I, I discovered that, wow, what I really want to do is to work for government. And I had that move to government uh, and I really enjoyed that moment. Uh, but what happened uh, though, <laughs> is that I, I ended up moving from Brazil to the US and in that move, uh, things also changed because I had to restart in terms of my profession. And the first job I got in the US was a position as a research associate at Columbia University in New York. And then I started to do research, but from an academic setting. Um, that really changed my understanding of academia as well, because the freedom I had, although I was doing research in, in the government and in the private sector, the, the freedom I had uh, working at Columbia uh, really catched me. And after that, I started a PhD. I still thought, I still, I was still thinking I would go to government, but then we had that wave, the political wave of uh, right-wing government in Latin America. Uh, we had a coup in Brazil at that moment. I was living in DC, so I was uh, helping other uh, groups uh, organizing themselves to make what was happening uh, in Latin America visible, to raise awareness about the political situation. And at that moment, I also distanced myself from the institutional politics. And I think that opened the space for becoming, uh, for staying in academia. And for sure, postdocs always help. I think that if you are not sure, uh, think of have a postdoc, a good postdoc, and that will give you time to think of that. Excellent, very interesting. So if I may follow up um, on that, how would you, characterize your experience as a postdoctoral fellow in comparison to your experience as a doctoral student? Yeah, it's very different. <laughs> um, I think that when you are a student, you don't really understand uh, what the big picture. You, it's very difficult that you understand the big picture. You are always concerned in responding to what your committee wants, uh, what your professors want. Uh, to be a student is really challenging. And uh, life happens as well. So you're always trying to, uh, to handle that. Uh, and I think that in a postdoc uh, situation, you are able to sit down and say, wow, I already got that. I'm already a doctor. Now it's a time for professionalizing. And I think that for me, a postdoc is a moment when you become an, a professional academic. You know, you you set time to uh, to write and to read. You may not follow the time you are setting, uh, but you have that. You start to have agendas, and you also start to look at your research uh, from the perspective of uh, publications. Why are we in? while you are a, a student, I think that's not that clear uh, yet. Uh, at least it wasn't for me. Uh, it may be to us some other uh, very professional students. 
Okay, very interesting. So, so if we may go back in time, you're working in Brazil, you're working in public policy, you come to the US, you spent a few years at Columbia, then applied for graduate school, then you do the postdoc. How was the transition from Brazil to the US? And how would you characterize the transition from doing research in the public sector in Brazil to doing research in the private sector, in the, in, in the private sector, in the, in the academic sector in New York? Yeah. <laughs> Um, I think my first, I was afraid uh, when I was coming to the US, uh, if people would recognize my, my CV. I think that was my first, uh, my first concern because we know in Latin America what our institutions are, how strong they are in research. Uh, the name of our institutions are recognized in our, in our region. But when I moved to the US, my first concern was, okay, now maybe they'll think that this is nothing and I'll need to restart. And uh, for me to get a position at Columbia was really uh, important for to say, yeah, don't, don't worry. Things will work out. You don't know how, uh, but they will work out because uh, yeah, I only have only. It's a lot of course, and I'm saying that for all my fellows in Latin America, but I had uh, my degrees from Brazil and uh, Colombia, uh, yeah, hired me. I didn't know anyone there. And that was for me very important how sometimes uh, CVs work and uh, this, uh, um, how would you say that this, this process is a work, even uh, if you are just applying, just seeing a, a I, I spot on the internet uh, and then you apply to it. Um, in uh, doing research in academia and in, in the public sector is, is really different because of the application of it at first. And also the, the frustration sometimes in the public uh, area because my, my understanding when I am working for the public is that that research will be used and you have policies coming out of that and then you have that expectation. Uh, in academia, you don't have that high expectations about the use necessarily. It's, it's about publishing, it's about uh, making that uh, visible. And uh, that as a, for me, that's also a, a change. It doesn't mean that we do research to not have an impact in society, but it's a different kind of impact, I think, uh, I would say. Okay, very interesting. So, so you're doing you know, academic research in New York and you realize you want an academic career. How, how did you choose your doctoral program? How was the journey you know, to the application process for you? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so my deciding uh, about the program was, yeah, was not that difficult when I understood what I wanted, what I wanted to do. But I, I did look at many different programs. I was looking at programs in STS. I was looking at programs in sociology. I was looking at programs in communication. 
uh, and at the end, I, I, I've, yeah, I've chosen, I chose my, my PhD program based on the advisor. That was my, my first decision because how, how did I get to know American University uh, and my advisor that uh, ended up being Laura Denardis. I was uh, an auditor, an, an auditor in a course at Princeton University and I was studying internet policy there. Uh, it was my first semester in the US and one of the readings was Laura Denardis' uh, work and so wow that's so phenomenal how you can talk about these technical aspects to uh and i can understand that was my my feeling because i i was coming from a master's in policy i was doing research in education policy and technology education policy but uh that technicalities of uh technology, I didn't have that uh, understanding. So that course was really important for me. Uh, it was with Paul DiMaggio and Ed Felton. Mm -hmm. And after having that, when I was at Columbia, uh, one professor came to me and said, are you going to have a take a PhD to pursue a PhD? I said, yeah, I'm thinking of that. And then he also mentioned Laura Denardis. He said, yeah, you know, Laura Denardis said, oh, yeah, I know. But I didn't know that she was in a communication department. And after that, I started to look at uh, her profile and she was an American. And I said, wow, I can live in this city for sure. Uh, so that's how I, I decided. The program uh, is amazing. It's a program, um, the PhD program in, in technology, media and democracy. So it was also talking to what I would like to study. Um, yeah, so that was a match. <laughs> and the experience as a Brazilian person um, living uh, in DC, and as a Brazilian student um, in American University, how was it for you? Yeah, that was a challenging uh, period uh, because of the politics in Latin America. Uh, so I was always involved <laughs> in the discussions and organizing events and demonstrating in the embassy. Uh, and trying to uh, reconcile that with what I had to do uh, in our program. Um, I would say that because I was in DC, it was maybe easier to go through the political changes we would have in, in Brazil, because it's hard when you are, um, yeah, when you are far from home seeing how how things are getting complicated and when you have an elected president being impeached without uh, fair reasons and having the right wing just taking that place and then opening a space for an even more right wing uh, person uh, to be elected that was what happened in brazil uh, it was really challenging so i think that was always there uh, and because of that, I think this is a good place to be because you can be connected with everything. Uh, it's never disconnected. It's not like a bubble where you are not seeing what is going on. Um, so yeah, it was a great time. <laughs> and how did you come to choose your dissertation topic and your work on you know code and you know north south type issues? 
Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so it was uh, it was amazing when in my my second year uh, I got some grants uh, to study during the summer, and with that uh, fellowship and grants, I ended up doing uh, just field work, exploratory field work. Uh, I think that is one of the most important things for people like me who are more ground theory uh, people, more uh, inductive than deductive scholars. So looking at uh, what is going on on the internet uh, was exactly what I would like to do. So at that moment, I just framed the, the, the work as, oh, I'd like to understand the interplay between local and global internet. And then with that, I got some uh, money and I went to Brazil. Uh, and there is a, a space there, a political space that is called uh, Brazilian Internet Steering Committee that runs the internet in the country. So I already knew that uh, that, or, that organ, that uh, organism, uh, we say institution, uh, and I asked if I could stay there for two months doing just field work, uh, and they said yes. So I started doing uh, uh, field work, infrastructure, ethnography of infrastructure on internet uh, from Brazil. And after one week in one of the departments, because I spent one week in each department, I was in one week in the web department, one week in the interconnection department. And that was the moment I said, wow, what is that? How, how do like internet networks interconnect? Uh, and I was in a very small office with great people giving us like giving me some ideas about how that works. And I, when I came back to DC, uh, I had to write a paragraph about what you want to study. And I said, yeah, I want to study internet interconnection. <laughs> and I heard it's promising. And that's how things started. Now, that's a great story. It, it has a um, an immediate SDS resonance, right? Uh, but you were in a communication school. When did you start getting interested in SDS? Yeah. Uh, when I, I, I've chosen American uh, University was also because uh, my advisor had a background in STS. So I was, I was already, uh, it was clear for me okay. that while I was in education doing research on technology, I needed more. And I thought that for me to understand technology more, STS could help. Uh, so but yeah, but you never know how things are going to be because as a sociologist, uh, I had that very strong uh, way of doing research. I look at institutions, I do uh, interviews, focus groups, and I focus on the discourse, right? Um, and when I was at uh, in my PhD and I started to have readings on STS, I said, wow, this is powerful. Uh, can I change my way of thinking? Can I include other actors? How did that change? Uh, and of course, I was very influenced by, by Laura Denardis and the way that uh, she works uh, as well. I'll, 
And I think things changed uh, in my case, and I started doing my own research because of my concerns with uh, social justice and the decolonial thought that uh, is in the root of social sciences. So the, the Latin American academia is very Marxist, uh, and you bring that with you. So I think that the dependence theory was always there with me, and I was always thinking in terms of how these relations between South and North uh, work. So including the internet is just one more uh, thing to make that happen. So in a sense, um, you know, coming from Latin America with a strong, you know, dependency theory background, you know, um, critical uh, scholarship uh, as part of the, the DNA in the social sciences mm -hmm. in Latin America uh, in its various forms, come to the US uh, and you're, you're doing your PhD at a time in which these issues become more and more salient in academic discourse, for instance, in the field of communication. What, what has been, in your experience, the reception or the receptivity to these ideas in you know, the US in communication studies, for instance? Yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> I think when I started using Global South in my work, it sounded weird to some people that I was talking to. Uh, and I had to, to explain why, why am I using Global South? And that happened uh, sometimes. Uh, but I think that I, I was, it made so much sense for me that, and of course, when you are in a space where people respect your ideas, it's okay that you explain why, right? And it's important that you know how to explain why. It's just a way to push you in that direction, to be more certain about what you want. Um, and, I, and I think that was the way that I felt uh, really sure that that was the frame I would like to use. First, because it was so comfortable. You know, when you find the topic that make you comfortable and make you understand, want to understand more, uh, I don't know, that's just a good moment. And that's how you finish a PhD. <laughs> it's when you have a topic that connects uh, you to things that matter uh, for you. But I think that the moment when I felt that was getting traction was when I got uh, my postdoc because that was a, a, a well-known postdoc in the field of communication and it was global communication. Um, and then when I looked at the call and I saw what I was doing, I said, wow, this is exactly what I'm doing. I just need to say, uh, to send my, 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 my application uh, and see, because it could be that I not, would not be selected, uh, but I felt that there was someone asking for that, asking for the colonial uh, thoughts uh, in, in global communication, in communication, because global communication is that, right? How can we, the westernized communicate, the communication field? So there was a, a, a space where people were asking for that and they were open for materi uh, more materialities in communication as well, because that was the two challenges, I think, to bring the colonial thought 
and also to bring the materiality of communication. I think that uh, that was a challenging. And when they accepted, I said, well, okay, <laughs> uh, I think I can, I can continue in that, in that direction. Uh, but then now you've gone to work in, in an STS department. Um, how was the, the job market? How was your experience in the job market? Yeah, the job market during the pandemic. Uh, <laughs> It was really challenging, uh, really challenging. And to be frank, I couldn't find jobs in communication departments. I, I would see and I, I would not find uh, calls that I could just apply, you know. And this, I think, is uh, one of the reasons that we have this uh, this cultural studies uh, very uh, strong in the field of communication. Um, and I feel that an STS approach is always welcome, but um, I think that communication is open to that, but it is not the, the standard. Uh, but I found, uh, yeah, I found some calls in departments like information schools, STS schools uh, in departments. And, and that was just, easy for me to apply. It was interesting how that happened. And for me, being recognized in an STS department as an STS scholar uh, was also uh, great. And yeah, so now I am in an STS uh, space, which, uh, which changed things. Uh, and I, I'm still trying to understand how this, uh, uh, how this changes, how the field is different. I'm still trying to understand that. So, so if I understand what you're saying, the, the strong, the historically strong presence of cultural studies in the field of communication and media studies takes up the, the space that is uh, not positivistic, not behavioral, not quantitative, um, well, so it makes it more difficult for alternative modes of knowledge production, alternative kinds of arguments uh, to flourish. Uh, for instance, STS, which you're right. I mean, people read the literature, etc., but it doesn't have the presence that cultural studies has in that space. That is your argument, right? That that okay, that's very interesting. And if I can flip the conversation around. What has your experience of the reception of communication been in STS? You mean, what is the reception of STS? To... No, the other uh, way around. Now that you are in an STS department, right? How uh, communication sees that? Yes. How, no, how, how, how the, that field sees, and your colleagues see communication as a field of inquiry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a great question. I don't know, Pablo, if I know I can answer that yet from an STS uh, department. I'd say I'm still trying to understand uh, what is the, how, they, how do they see communication scholars? But I can tell about how social science uh, see uh, communication because I'm always in contact uh, with the Brazilian academia. Uh, I helped found a network of research in internet governance. 
So we are always discussing things related to internet governance and most of the people there are from social uh, sciences. Uh, and a thing that I hear is that communication, well, communication is not that strong field, you know, uh, like we have the theories, communicate, why communication? I heard that from an engineer. Why would a person uh, have, take a PhD in communication? But okay, from an engineer, I also hear things similar from social sciences in, in Brazil. Uh, seeing that, saying that it's not uh, a field that has its own theories, uh, that we learn theories from other fields, um, which I think uh, is really a problem. Uh, I think because if social science was reading more, uh, were reading more about communication, we would have much more ex better explanations about what is going on in terms of our politics. Uh, because we are studying uh, communication as a medium and, and as process. Uh, and I think they are, sometimes they are saying things that we already know for a while. <laughs> um, and I say that uh, openly because I am a social scientist. So I know that I am from that field. And I know that we can have more interactions among fields. In Brazil specifically, um, I don't know about Argentina and I'd love, I would love to know, but we have in the social sciences in Brazil, I means anthropology, sociology, and political science. Uh, and that's what social science is. But communication is also social science. And that's what I, I would like to, to see happening, like the recognition of this field as a space uh, of inquiry and in where we already have so much. Uh, I would not have written my dissertation if I was in a department, in a regular social science department, because that's my feeling, because of the freedom I had to be interdisciplinary in communication has helped me to frame uh, my problem and selecting the theories, methodological theories and the theoretical uh, uh, frameworks that I ended up using. Absolutely. Um, and since you mentioned writing, um, do you write in English? Do you write in Portuguese? Uh, how, how, how does language factor? I'm always fascinated, uh, you know, with people who grow up in one language or speak in one language and then move and work in a different and live in a different language. When it comes to writing, how do you negotiate between these two languages? And I know you're fluent in Spanish as well. How does that shape how you write, what you think, questions you ask? Yeah, it's an excellent question. And I, I think I'm still trying to understand that because uh, for practical reasons, I write in English. It's strictly for practical reasons. And I say that because uh, last year I had a colleague from Brazil and we, we decided to write a paper together and it was for a conference in communication. And I said, okay, I'll write my part for the paper. And I wrote so quickly, it was so quick. 
And it's like, gosh, what is going on here? Like, I don't, it's not that quick when I'm writing in English. Why am I writing in English then? That was a moment when I questioned myself. Um, so I'm uh, open to try other ways right now. And I couldn't have that option, neither in my PhD program, neither in my postdoc, because of the expectations and production and you need to to have this done. <laughs> uh, now I think uh, I may have more time because I'm also uh, involved in projects that are uh, longer projects, right? I have a book project. This also gives me more uh, space to experiment. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it's a great question because I am sure that language also uh, shapes how information is coming out and it's necessarily may change things uh, if I change my, my mold <laughs> to, to Portuguese. That would be the language I feel more comfortable to write. Mm. And, and staying with the issue of writing, you mentioned your book manuscript. Um, is this the book manuscript from your dissertation? Yes. How how's that process for you, turning the dissertation into a book? Yeah, it has been a journey. <laughs> uh, for me, it would be much easier. I would feel like, wow, I can just, it would be done so quickly. But actually not, because one, editors have some expectations and you need to, to deal with that. Uh, and there is also this idea of writing for a broader public, right? My, because my dissertation was focused on internet governance, I had in my committee a computer scientist, an engineer, a communication scholar, one communication scholar, and an international relations uh, professor. So I was trying to dialogue with this specific group. Uh, and now I feel, and specifically the engineer uh, group was uh, for me a, a group that I was paying lots of attention because I was writing about technical stuff. So I was really uh, concerned if my work would be, would respond to their expectations. So I think in my dissertation, uh, I was, really uh, I was bringing my communication social science background but I knew I was talking to this specific people and now I feel that I should write uh, to anyone uh, even if it is an academic uh, book a scholarly book so it has been I am enjoying the process uh, for sure uh, but it has been more difficult than I was uh, initially thinking. Um, well, that's good that you're enjoying it. That's the most important part, isn't it? <laughs> I hope so. Oh, for sure. <laughs> and I think because it also translates into the text. Um, if it's a happy experience for the writer, I think it ends up adding considerably to the quality and the excitement that is embedded in the text. Um, so, so we'll talk about the number of issues um, related to your experience, related to graduate education, postdoctoral uh, journeys, you know, job market, researching, writing. 
So if we talk about the field in general, right? If you had magical powers and could be granted one wish about how you would like the field of communication and media studies to change, what would you wish for? Sure. I think I want uh, more people of color, uh, more women, uh, more people from the global south, producing theories, producing methods, being referred uh, as ways of thinking. I think uh, it's a, it's really. Uh, it's really an issue if we are always basing our theories and methods on on certain on certain uh, theoretical frameworks and using the global south as examples. Uh, I think that we should uh, change that. Uh, like people of color, the experiences of um, misrepresented and underrepresented people should not be used as examples uh, only. Uh, we need to learn with, uh, with the South, as Bovington de Souza Santos says. And I, I think that the more we have that, the more communication will be expanding uh, its, uh, its reach. <laughs> so it's good to everyone, uh, the idea of uh, inclusion and more diversity in terms of how we think. And this uh, needs to be reflected in our syllabi, um, which is challenging because the platforms that we use to find the works, uh, they just do not allow us to have that, uh, to find easily works from the global south, right? You need to count on your networks. So you know, and then you bring, um, so I think that it's a chain of uh, changes we need to have, but it starts with the recognition uh, that the South and that uh, Black people, uh, that uh, women, that uh, anyone uh, have to, to produce knowledge and to be there um, well represented in our theoretical and methodological uh, frameworks. Excellent. Very, very important indeed. Fernanda, this has been a pleasure. Thank you very much for sharing your journey and your thoughts with us. Uh, I want to thank our listeners to staying with us through the end. And I invite everybody to join us for the next episode of El Café Latinx. Once again, thank you very much, Fernanda. Thank you. Thank you so much. Café Latinx is a production of the Center for Latinx Digital Media in the Department of Communication Studies at Northwestern University. I am Pablo Wojcikowski, your host, and I'm joined by executive producer Mora Matassi.